Hi, welcome to the Romance Me podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em, and we'd like to say a special hello to our number one and only fan. Hey, salted caramel is delicious. It is. It is. Today, we'll be discussing Slave to Sensation by Nalini Singh. In the distant future, future, the year 2079. (laughs) Psy beings rule the world. Their emotions are dead. Their emotions are dead. (laughs) Come on, sucker, lick my battery. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we are nerds. I know. And I love us for it. (laughs) (laughs) Sasha. Mm. I have tears. Sasha is a... (laughs) Shh. <laughs> okay. We have to be serious now. <laughs> All right. Suppressing motion. Continue. Oh, imagine the hand going down my face. <laughs> <laughs> Sasha is a psi who is experiment who is experimenting who is experiencing. <laughs> that is a different book. <laughs> All right. Sasha is a psi who is experiencing a problematic flare-up of emotion, which could get her sent to rehabilitation to have her feelings and or personality removed. To avoid this fate, she suppresses her emotions to pass as a normal psi. Nothing to see here. That all changes when she meets Lucas, a changeling who's used to expressing all of his feels and getting his own way. Lucas is trying to catch a serial killer. He senses that Sasha is different and hopes she can help. Exposure to the changeling way of life has Sasha questioning everything. While they try to stop the murderer from starting an all-out war, Sasha must also decide if she wants to continue to control her emotions. There will be spoilers beyond this point. We have a content warning for mind rape and elements of dubious consent. Naughty A. No. So, since I did the (laughs) really hard job of making a single note... (laughs) i made no notes we'll start there (laughs) so my Uh note (laughs) the all-impressive note is we should probably define psi and changeling because it might not be what a reader might expect particularly the changeling bit i agree this takes place on kind of a sci-fi-esque earth in the united states in california of all places we have Three classes of humans, human-esque people. We have the humans, who don't really play a part in this story. We have the changelings, who are what I think most romance readers would refer to as shifters, along with all the shifter baggage and other accoutrements. And we have the Psy. So back in the 1980s or something like that. Yes! Because I made all the notes, I know. (laughs) The Psy implemented this protocol called the silence. The silence? Of the lambs. (laughs) That that is accurate because (laughs) the silence was intended to stop the emotion of anger because they figured that was why they have so many killers in their (laughs) community. (laughs) However, suppressing just the emotion of anger did not work. Hmm? And so they decided (laughs) 
Well, let's just suppress all emotions instead. <laughs> let's go from one to a hundred. Let's one... just do it. Let's go for it. <laughs> one doesn't do what a hundred should. <laughs> and so now, Psy are basically like evil data from Star Trek The Next Generation. Only they have no interest in understanding humanity. They think humanity is flawed because they still feel. There are different types of Psy. We have telekinetic Psy. We have telepathic Psy. We have foresight Psy. I think there's a couple other types. I don't remember them all. The ones that are most important in this story are telepathic and telekinetic. And all the Psy have some level of these abilities anyway, but they get classed according to what they're strongest at. We also have a hierarchy within the Psy. We have a council. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know how I love a good council. <laughs> 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 The council is all run by cardinals, which are extremely powerful Psy, and they are marked by having pitch black, starry night looking eyes, which is kind of cool, honestly. Yes. Kind of creepy as fuck, actually. I didn't think it was creepy. I thought it was cool. It, it's kind of both, I guess. <laughs> creepy cool. Yeah, creepy cool. <laughs> but the council are above the law. As far as the Psy are concerned, they make the law, but they do not have to adhere to the law. There's another hiccup in Psyland. Um, they all belong to this, I don't know, like a conglomerate of minds called the Psynet. Hive mind. Kind of, but not in the way I at least would normally picture it. It's more like a mind internet. Yeah. But the the Psy mind also has some sort of sentience of its own as well, supposedly. I don't think the book really got into that too much. We just know it's a thing. Is this a series? Oh, this is a long, long ass series, M. Oh my god. Okay, so there'd be more of that potentially. Yeah, there's like 15 plus books plus little novellas slash short stories in between them. And yeah, there's a whole thing. Oh, okay. So there could be more of that later. Oh, I imagine so. Yeah, I think a lot of this is being set up by the author to use later. Okay. I have read like stories with, you know, obviously you have the dystopian future where feelings are stupid. (laughs) We all belong to a mental, um, not necessarily hive mind, but like big brother-esque sort of thing. But I thought this was really interesting. I thought it was really well done mm-hmm. and kind of creepy because yes. there's really not a lot you can do as a Psy that other Psy are not aware of. Yes. They're very cerebral. They live in like these gray box-like apartments Be- because they don't have emotion, supposedly. They don't care about aesthetics or anything like that. It's very much about power, wealth, class. Like where they are in the hierarchy, that kind of thing. I think it's still important to to note that Sasha's our our heroine's fear of being disconnected from that quote unquote hive mind is what propels her to make certain decisions through the story. Because she's like, oh my gosh, without this, I will die. I can only survive X long without it. It is lifeblood. No, you're right. That is very important to include because there is this belief 
that if they disconnect, if a psi disconnects from the psi net, then they no longer are receiving the mental feedback that they need to survive and they will die. They will literally die. I don't know if this was intended, but I kind of thought of them as like little worker bees, like going out and gathering information because they do, they kind of upload information, you know, in that internet-y way. So it was like maybe anthropologist, librarian, historian things like going out and just gathering info. Yeah, only not for the good of the world. They do that just kind of as they live their lives. What they're really trying to do is gain power for themselves. Yeah, yeah. At least the ones we're introduced to in this story, aside from our heroine. I didn't say it was completely altruistic. <laughs> I just said that yeah, it's not altruistic. <laughs> that's how I imagine them. like the least altruistic worker bees you can imagine so our heroine sasha is a psi cardinal psi yep she has the distinct black starry eyes but she's kind of a disappointment to her mother nikita because she does not have the cardinal powers that are associated with the eyes and her mother is on that council so it's important For the maintenance of power. Sasha has a secret, though. She views it as insanity or mental illness. But she's suffering from emotions. She knows that if that gets out, she will be (laughs) reconditioned. (laughs) Which will be tantamount to lobotomy. Yeah. Like a mental lobotomy. And we'll relegate her to being a, if she survives, we'll relegate her to being a low-level worker doing something like janitor work. (laughs) That kind of makes janitors sound like it's a real shitty life. It's not necessarily, but in this world it is. Because (laughs) they're all low-level psi who have been (laughs) rehabilitated. Yeah, it just shows where that society's priorities are, which frankly are kind of similar to our own in that regard sasha becomes kind of more aware of this as the story progresses but sasha's mother nikita is well aware i think of sasha's quote deficiency unquote yeah because when she's very young nikita takes sasha to see the workers who have been rehabilitated yes fear tactics yes and says something like you must be perfect or else (laughs) this this is your fate (laughs) so sasha's like shit 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 one thing she's really really fucking good at is building mental shields all of the psi have some ability to create like a mental firewall but sasha's are amazing she does firewalls within firewalls within firewalls and part of that is because she's hiding her true secret lonely feeling self inside the core of all these firewalls And she can't let anyone see. She can't let her mom see. She has no friends. I think Sasha at the age of 26 is very resilient because (laughs) she's still sane, (laughs) even though she's been living in essentially complete loneliness her whole entire life. The closest thing she has to a relationship is with her mother. And it's very empty. It's not a loving relationship. She she's taught to call her mom mother because that's their familial designation. Yeah. <laughs> but 
She's basically Nikita's subordinate. Yeah. She's part of the family, the Duncan family. So she's expected to be part of the family business, which sounds like it's architecture and housing and whatnot. She's expected to perform to a certain level because she doesn't have the cardinal abilities that they hoped she would have, that Nikita hoped she would have. She's not going to be on the council or anything like that. She's kind of an outsider in that way as well, because even the council, I mean, I wouldn't say they're friends, but they have kind of like an inner circle and she's not part of that. It's really fucking sad. Yeah. Our story opens when Sasha and Nikita are meeting with one of the changeling leaders to broker a contract. They want to build housing for changelings and they want the changelings to, I think, supply the plans and do the work and whatnot. They want the changelings to be their contractors, essentially. The changeling group that they are interested in working with are called the Dark River Pack. (laughs) (laughs) And that's where we start with the whole shifter tropes and whatnot. Changelings are basically shifters. They have various packs. The main pack in this story is Dark River Pack, which is a pack of leopard changelings. There's also the Snow Dancer pack, which is a pack of wolf changelings that are prominent in the story. Changelings consider themselves equally human and animal. They also have a social hierarchy. They have the Alpha, who is the leader of the pack. The leader of the pack. (laughs) They have a group of Sentinels that are the Alpha's guard slash enforcers. There's also advisors that the Alpha has and then other social classes as well within the pack. But the one we're most interested in for this story is the Alpha because Lucas Hunter is the person that Nikita and Sasha are meeting with to broker this deal. And Sasha is actually in charge of this whole thing. Nikita has decided, okay, you can spread your wings. Let's try this. We'll see if this works out for you. <laughs> Let's find a purpose for you, child. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I mean, we, we we realize later that there's an ulterior motive, but this is what Sasha knows at the beginning. So Sasha, Nikita, and Lucas all meet together, and Sasha runs the meeting. Essentially, Lucas is very bossy, <laughs> and he's attracted to Sasha, even though he doesn't really want to be, so he's kind of flirty too. An alpha who's bossy? Do go on. <laughs> and Sasha is attracted to Lucas, but she's not allowed to show any of that or any response to anything that he says or does, because she feels no emotions, remember? Emotions are dead. <laughs> <laughs> So we have a little back and forth. Eventually, they agree to certain terms and Nikita's like, okay, have fun, Sasha. Enjoy your job. Although there's no enjoyment in Sightland. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know what she would say. She'd say like, okay, Sasha, I expect you to perform efficiently and effectively. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Sasha wants to have a major part in this whole construction project. She wants to be on site. She wants to be able to yay or nay any decisions that are made. 
And Lucas agrees. The reason Lucas agrees is because he has an ulterior motive for this whole thing. (laughs) There's been a killer. A changeling murderer. No, you must be mistaken because they suppressed all the emotions, so that can't happen. (laughs) Right, because if you feel nothing, why would you kill people? Exactly. (laughs) That makes so much sense. That makes all the sense. And the dollars. If you don't care about how other people feel and you don't feel anything, why would it matter? Got me. Uh, yeah, so that's a major flaw <laughs> in the size rationale silence protocol. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's a vehicle for the story. I think it's an interesting thing. Okay, so there has been a murderer who has been killing changelings. Lucas suspects it is a sigh because it's been super suppressed in the media. And because the Psy are the ruling class, although they don't necessarily care about the environment or, you know, anything, they consider themselves in charge. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it really a mindset anyway, the whole being in charge? Uh, I I don't know. They feel like they're in charge. um. (laughs) (laughs) Does it think it and you'll be it or whatever? Fake it till you make it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Psy are well able to suppress anything in the media just through fear tactics and mind fuckery, literal mind fuckery. Aww. So they're pretty sure that it's a Psy and they're protecting this killer. And he thinks that it goes up to the council because how would they not know, right? Yes. And he's super excited that the person he's working with is Sasha because she is a cardinal. And he thinks that she must be exposed to the inner workings of the council, especially because her mom is a prominent council member. <laughs> Super exciting. Wow. He lucked out. Yay, his luck. Lucas's pack was affected personally by this killer because one of his sentinel's sisters was murdered by the killer. So they have a personal stake in this. I think we probably should talk a little bit about the pack mentality. Um, I've seen this in other shifter books as well, but they're very much dependent on the pack in the way that the Psy are dependent on the Psynet. The pack is dependent on being in the pack. They have this whole touching thing that cements this pack bond and has feelings of safeness and family and closeness and whatnot. It's kind of odd because, well, I don't know. (laughs) I thought it was (laughs) odd because the pack leader is very physically affectionate with all the women, not in a sexual way, but kind of in a, in a way that could be seen as sexual, like kissing on the lips, um, caressing, things like that. He doesn't necessarily view it that way. They don't necessarily view it that way. But an outsider like Sasha could view it that way if they And she does. Which she (laughs) does. The way the men solidify the pack bond is by going for runs with the alpha and bro slapping (laughs) on the back. And I'm just like, okay, so you don't kiss your bros on the lips, but you kiss the women. Okay, fine. Whatever. (laughs) I think one of the pack... Women even says, yeah, it's kind of misogynistic, but we love them. It's fine. (laughs) Here's your rug. Here's your broom. (laughs) 
okay. So the whole contracting angle is very low level part of this story because that's just Sasha's in. That's Lucas's in. That's why they meet. But for Lucas, the story from the very beginning is about finding the killer. He wants to use Sasha, but he also thinks she's hot. He doesn't want to act on that because she's a cold, unfeeling sigh. But his panther, because he has to be special, you know, he can't just be a leopard. He has to be a black panther leopard. Uh Uh-huh. Well, recognizes something in Sasha that Lucas suppresses almost immediately. But even though they don't use the words at the beginning, Sasha is definitely his mate. She just is. <laughs> Panther knows it. Lucas is like, no, no. Shh, shh, quiet, little kitty. <laughs> Go back to sleep. Panther's like, uh-uh. <laughs> Lucas decides he's going to try to manipulate Sasha try to figure her out, try to pump her for information. Anytime she asks him a question, it's a tit for tat. I'll give you an answer if you answer one of my questions. And she's very open with him to an extent. She follows the rules, you know, she doesn't reveal signet secrets and things like that. But the changelings in the side don't really know a whole lot about how the other lives their day-to-day lives. Well, yeah, I mean, that must be part of the the thing though because if they don't know anything about them then they can make up whatever they want to their people yeah and they have a lot of assumptions too or propaganda the psi think the changelings are animalistic and not very intelligent which is not true i mean they are kind of animalistic but they're not unintelligent and the changelings think the psi are just ice cold robots which (laughs) (laughs) From what I could tell, is mostly true so far in this story. (laughs) I think later in the series, we probably learn that there are more people that have feelings that they just suppress them. I mean, that's what it is. They didn't kill the feelings. They suppressed the feelings. All right. So early on in the story, (laughs) you can tell I didn't take any notes. (laughs) You're brave. This is great. (laughs) Early on in the story, Lucas takes Sasha to one of his pack members' houses for lunch. The person who lives at this house is Tamsin. She is the pack healer, and her mate is one of his sentinels. She has two children who Sasha meets as leopard cubs, which was really cute. They like Sasha for some weird reason because she's definitely doing her sigh, stick up the butt routine. One of them's chewing on her boot. She feels like a sigh wouldn't allow it, but she does for whatever reason. When it's time for them to leave, she sends a message to the cub like, oh, little cub, please don't chew my boot anymore. I don't want you to get in trouble. And the cub stops because it can hear her. And then she tries to hide the chewed boot. But of course, Tamsin and Lucas see it and they're like, that's highly unusual. (laughs) Sasha is kind of surprised She was able to communicate with the cub. One of the things, according to the Psy, about changelings is that they're hard to manipulate. Like, it's hard to get in their mind. It's hard to read their thoughts. It's hard to talk to them mentally or control them or do any of those things. They have different minds. But Sasha had no problem whatsoever. Sasha is, over the course of this day, more and more overcome with not just her feelings, because she feels attraction to lucas but also just the ease of 
emotional expression within the pack. Lucas and Tamsin, how easy they are with each other, the children, the way everyone talks to each other, the touching. Oh my god, there's so much touching. Sigh, don't touch. <laughs> like That's not a thing they really do. Pack members touch, but you have to have skin privileges if you're outside of the pack. And so, of course, Sasha does not have skin privileges. There is this flirty conversation early on between Lucas and Sasha where he keeps touching her braid. She has very long, curly hair, and she keeps it tightly braided so that she can maintain the appropriate side persona. Lucas is very into this braid. He wants to undo it. He wants to touch her hair. He invites her to touch his hair, and she does. And this also really affects her. Like, it affects her ability to keep all her shields locked up tight. So by the time she goes home for the night, she is really struggling really badly to just keep it all together. She has all these emotions. She has all these feelings, all these things. And she has to not only physically appear unaffected, but also appear mentally unaffected all the time. And it's taking more and more of a toll on her. What did you think of the whole touching thing? Oh, like the skin privileges? Yeah, the reason that I bring it up is because clearly there are, are rules and he understands that there are rules. But then he's like, no, no, it's completely okay for me to do this without any sort of, is it okay if I do this? <laughs> since since we've brought up things like this before, I was just curious. No, I, I think that's that's a fair question. I think that in this case... He's doing it deliberately to get a rise out of her because he senses that there's something different about her. He's not sure what it is and he wants to kind of poke and learn more. But there's also the added bit where his panther knows that she's his mate. Mm -hmm. So he feels very proprietary very quickly about Sasha, which is kind of problematic for human relationships and it's kind of problematic for this whole situation because she's not packed she doesn't understand their social conventions i think it makes sense for the story to have it that way i think that sasha isn't bothered to the extent that someone else might be because she doesn't know even though she has feelings she doesn't understand like all the implications and whatnot that someone who grew up not suppressing their feelings might so for her, it's very innocent. For him, it's kind of predatory. But I think it's meant to be that way. What are your thoughts? I think similarly along the lines you do. Like they're both approaching this interaction for different reasons in different ways. It's that whole thing of like ownership. I mean, I, I genuinely can't remember. I think this is our first Shifter book. So it's this whole like, quote unquote, animal in him sort of marks her sees her as his therefore it's okay but you have rules like you know <laughs> yeah it felt very <laughs> deliberate that's i think that's one of the reasons that i wanted to discuss it it was definitely deliberate on the part of lucas and the panther for different reasons the panther because she's his lucas because he's trying to fuck with her the author I think really played with that line as well. I th on on purpose, I think, because I've read other shifter books where it's a shifter meeting a human, realizing they have to obey certain human social conventions to get the human to agree to yeah. be his. 
And in this case, we don't really have as much of that part of the story because we have this subterfuge plotline where Lucas is trying to get intel from Sasha. And one of the ways he's doing that is by fucking with her. Yeah. Poke, poke, poke. You know, trying to get her to expose more than she wants to. They're not necessarily friends or he doesn't even want to be her friend. And he's not aware of this mate thing at the beginning. either. Yeah. So he he doesn't like that he's attracted to her. He doesn't want to like her. She's enemy, <laughs> not pack. And then Sasha, she's very innocent. She really is. She unfortunately, due to her upbringing and culture and lifestyle, she has access to a lot of information, but no practical knowledge. And she's not supposed to mm-hmm. have. She's supposed to be more ascetic, very cerebral, very above all that. So she doesn't really know what to do with all those things. And so when she gets home, she's very overcome and she really struggles to put all her shields back in place and look like a real sigh again to the point that when she needs to talk to her mom, she fucks with the video so that her mom can only hear her, not see her because she knows she's flushed and whatnot. I think there's part of Lucas too, where he's trying to scare her. I feel like there's a fear element too, because he is the pack leader. He wants to assert his dominance and prove that he's he's actually the one in charge he's the one above her there's got to be a hierarchy somebody's got to be at the top so let's talk about enrique (laughs) one of the other side council members is this cardinal called enrique he is a powerful telekinetic side so much so he could just reach out and kill you with his mind like squish your brain (laughs) like a bug So he's terrifying. He's also what Sasha thinks of as a perfect sigh in that he doesn't have any emotion coming off of him whatsoever. He's truly, truly, truly dead inside as far as she can tell. (laughs) Uber dead? (laughs) Yeah, uber dead. Enrique starts approaching Sasha. He wants to use her to gain information about the changelings. And he keeps dangling little bits of bait in front of her like, oh, but this will get you more power in the council. And don't you want that? And of course, if Sasha were a true Psy, she would. If she lived up to the ideal, why wouldn't she? That's all they have to care about because they can't have emotions. And there's this weird relationship between Enrique and Nikita as well because Nikita seems to have an uneasy alliance with Enrique in a way I think because she can't afford not to because he's so fucking powerful although she's fucking powerful as well I wonder who would win in a fight (laughs) I don't know could Enrique squash her brain faster than she could melt his (laughs) because she has the telepathic powers so she could like go Jane Grey on his ass. Mm -hmm. Oh my. Yes, I require a gladiatorial arena. (laughs) (laughs) It would be a very uh, quiet (laughs) mental fight. (laughs) Well, you know, a certain section can be like, you know, a band, an orchestra. We need the fight scene music from the original Star Trek. (laughs) I I wouldn't mind that, actually. Can we have that? I would like that. I could, I can totally Me picture too. it. <laughs> Be interesting. <laughs> Brains at dawn. <laughs> but 
But anyway, Sasha is terrified of Enrique and can't show it, of course, and kind of uses her mom to hide behind couching it and like, well, my first loyalty is to my mom, obviously. Enrique doesn't like this. He wants to gain this intel and he wants Sasha to do it for him. And she gets bullied into it between both Enrique and Nikita that, no, you're going to come back and you're going to send us reports of secrets you learn about the pack. Sasha doesn't want to, but she agrees. She's not intending to, though, I don't think, even from the very beginning, because she likes the pack. (laughs) She finds their way of life attractive. The little cubs made a good impression. (laughs) They did. She wishes she could have that. She wishes she was born into a life where she could have physical touch and emotional intimacy with others that's what she's missing that's why her brain is fucking up i think like that's Mm -hmm. why she's having issues because she's not feeding that need that she has there's another scene where lucas takes sasha to his secret hideout even though they have you know a community he has his own secret living area that's off in the middle of the forest he takes her there kind of against his better judgment He kind of has decided to trust her, I think, because he's figured out that she's different. He thinks she is anyway. He hopes she is. He has reason to think it. Tentative trusting and information gathering. And Sasha, it just drives home for her the level of closeness that she could never have because she can tell that other people, pack members, have visited him there have a level of comfort and familiarity with him that she wants. She realizes that it won't be real because there's no way she can actually leave the Cynet. Even if she decided to betray her kind, once she severs that link from the Cynet, she would die. So when Lucas tells her about the killer and that he suspects it's a council thing that's being hidden by the council... Sasha doesn't want to believe it. She doesn't want to believe that of her mother. No, mother, no. But it also brings up this idea that she could die for a cause. Yeah. She doesn't tell Lucas that, but her idea is, yes, if I can solve this, if I can bring this killer to justice, if I can find this latest pack member of the snow dancers that was just kidnapped in time before they die and rescue them, then it would be worth it to die over that she would be going out in a blaze of glory i guess (laughs) sasha also decides she's gonna allow herself some room to dream in a very literal way she decides she's gonna program herself to have uh, essential dreams about lucas because she wants to experience that intimacy she feels hot every time she's around him she's turned on she knows she can never really have what she wants And she thinks, well, at least I can experience this. I'm going to die anyway, so might as well enjoy myself, right? But these dreams (laughs) are very realistic. Yeah, so (laughs) when she has these dreams, they, they experience the dreams together, even though they don't realize it at first. Sasha doesn't realize it at all, because she thinks there's no possible way she could do that. Lucas figures it out before she does but not right away and so they have some sexy dreams where 
I don't know. There's some issues of consent with the dreams, I would say. I didn't think it was bad. I thought it made it more interesting. But you have the whole idea that, okay, well, I entered your mind and initiated (laughs) sexy times with you. You thought it was a dream. So you were cool with it, even though you have social reasons why you wouldn't be cool with it otherwise. I didn't realize that it wasn't a dream either. So I was cool with it, even though I otherwise wouldn't be. <laughs> like, it's, it's a very sticky situation. <laughs> well, it's not a sticky, because brain. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's not literally sticky. <laughs> so we have that element, too, to add to the building tension, because now Sasha goes home, has a sexy times dream with Lucas, Figures, okay, well, I'm going to just pack all that away back behind my shields. But then when she meets up with him that day, he's like, yeah, I didn't sleep very well, did you? (laughs) Yeah, I kept having these dreams. I think he suspects pretty early on, but he realizes it way before she does. And when he brings it up to her, she's like, no, that can't be true. Are you kidding me? She's kind of embarrassed. So I want to talk about the killer storyline. Because that is really the meat of the book, I would say, apart from the romance, I guess. We have this psy killer who's (laughs) unknown. Psycho killer. (laughs) That has a very clear pattern of abducting a very specific type of changeling woman. Usually young, headstrong, sensual, all sorts of things that we would consider positive Mm -hmm. and torturing them for seven days, (laughs) seven days. (laughs) And then doing the final killing in a place where that changeling would have felt safe their bedroom or their friend's house or something like that. Insult to injury. Each of these poor tortured dead women sustained 79 cuts. Is that because it's the year 2079? Uh-huh. That are all identical <sighs> to each other. Rude. In different places on their body, of course, but identical length, depth, etc. Super rude. One of the snow dancers women, Brenna, has been stolen, kidnapped, and the snow dancers are a pack of wolves, and they are very fucking pissed. (laughs) And they are scary AF. The Dark River pack, the leopards, have a hesitant... Like a tentative alliance? Yes, that's perfect. They have a tentative alliance with the snow dancers that they've worked on nurturing over the years, and they're very concerned that the snow dancers are going to go out for blood immediately kill a bunch of Psy and start a whole Psy changeling war, which will then impact all of the changelings and the Psy don't hold back. So they will kill kids. They will kill babies. They will kill old people. They will kill innocents because they don't care. Yep. Lucas has met with Hawk, who is the pack leader for the snow dancers and brokered an agreement where they will wait while Lucas works on his pet sigh to get her to buy in and help find the killer so lucas has a lot riding on this because if sasha betrays him then potentially everyone could get massacred earlier than they expect (laughs) which not good 
Yes, with less preparation. <laughs> and he doesn't even know if she, like, if she'll be able to do anything. He's not sure, but he suspects she's actually not really on the inner circle of the Cardinals because from what he knows about her, he finds it hard to believe that she would be willing to harbor a killer like he thinks the Cardinals are. She doesn't add up. So he takes a big chance when he tells her about the killing. And like I said, Sasha at first is not sure. She, she, th- she seems to think that it's possible that Asai could be a murderer She thinks it's possible that there could be a conspiracy, but she does not want to believe that her mother is part of it because her mother is the only long-term relationship she's ever had. Hmm. It's not a good relationship, but it's the only one she's ever had. She slowly comes to terms with this over the course of, I think, just the next day or two because she learns more about this thing with Enrique and her mom she starts to realize that they're using her as a pawn as well because they just want her to be a spy. And they always wanted her to be a spy. And the construction contract was secondary. (laughs) (laughs) So she agrees to help. Around this point in the story, Lucas and Sasha's relationship becomes sexual, like in person. (laughs) Important distinction. Lucas has realized that Sasha is his mate. And he's kind of coming to terms with that. And as a result, he's becoming more and more possessive and domineering. Although he also likes that she doesn't accept his dominance at face value. I think there's a line in the book, like the pack doesn't want their alpha to be with a weak woman or something. Mm-hmm. They like their alpha to be with a feisty woman, I guess. I guess. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> they like him feisty. One of the things I appreciated in this story is that while Lucas is very powerful physically and very intelligent and can definitely dominate and control Sasha to a degree, Sasha does have her own powers that bring her up more to his level than she would have otherwise if she were just a human. Like she's able to use her telekinesis to push him or manipulate him in certain ways. She's able to use this secret power that she's never understood to kind of like take in his emotions there's this really important scene where lucas reveals that he's working with sasha to solve this murder to his sentinels and one of the sentinels dorian who is a leopard but can't change he's the one whose sister was killed by the murderer and he is out for blood like he sees sasha and he's gonna rip her face off Lovely. And Sasha is able to take in all his emotion, like all the anger, all the rage, all the everything, and like bundle it into herself, which calms him down. And then while they're meeting, Sasha's in the other room because she's not allowed. It's pack business. But she's mentally taking in all this energy and then she fucks off back home. She's like, okay, well, I know what to do with this and I can't do it here. So bye. And everyone lets her leave because they don't know better. They realize that Dorian has been improved, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so Dorian has been calmed down, and they're not really sure why. And it wasn't any of them, even though they do have calming effect on each other because they're pack. And they suspect it's Sasha. Lucas suspects it for sure. Tamsin, the healer, also suspects it. Sasha takes her burden home with her and 
somehow makes it into her tiny gray apartment, locks everything up, and then just has a mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. And when she wakes up, she realizes she's in danger because she can't control herself right now. And she's able to sneak out into her car and program it to fly, well, fly, drive. I don't know what their cars do. Program it to transport Convey. her to pack territory. Yes. <laughs> to transport her to pack territory. And then while it's auto driving, autopiloting, whatever, um, she's continuing this mental breakdown. Like she's laughing. She's crying. She's heaving. She's all sorts of things. She's emoting all the emotes. And she eventually passes out and kind of goes into sort of a coma, I would say. Unfortunately, her car, her conveyance takes her past Dark River Territory into Snowdancer Territory. But luckily, the Snowdancers have heard a little bit about this side that the Dark River are working with. And they can tell that Lucas is associated with this side. Like his smell and whatnot is all over her. Lovely. <laughs> well, you know, he owns her. <laughs> True. Although the author makes it very clear in the book that she owns him as well. It's very much a mutual ownership. <laughs> um, I guess that's better. No, it is better because it's equal-ish. This, the snow dancers send a message to Lucas and they bring her there. And she is just this comatose lump and lucas is like holy shit oh my god not (laughs) sasha because now he's finally accepted who she is to him good job buddy (laughs) (laughs) yeah and the one thing that the alpha has loyalty to above the pack is to his mate so she's special when she finally wakes up they are sort of pre-mated i guess like As far as Lucas is concerned, like, this is a mating in progress. As far as Sasha is concerned, she's going to die. So she can't. She talks to Tamsin, and they kind of piece together bits of lore that the changelings have and some secret intel that she stole from Sinet. And she realizes that she is an E-type Psy, which she's not sure what E stands for. Maybe emotion. Later we learn it's for empathy. And that is her power. She's an empathetic cardinal. And that is one of the powers that they basically stripped out during the silence protocol and no longer allow or recognize. And that's why she's been broken this whole time, because she's been forced to negate the side of herself that exists. (laughs) It's there. Lies. Rumors. And she realized that her her mom knew this whole time. She knows her mom knew because her mom had access to these records. Sasha didn't until now. So there's there's this whole like awakening for her. And she she realizes, you know, that's why she's able to connect with the pack members, with the changelings, because she has the, the magical empathy powers. And she loves Lucas. I was... This is one of those stories where, like, the love part just takes me by surprise. I'm just like, (laughs) are you sure? Do you, do you really, though? Because you're, you've been going through a lot of shit lately. And, you know, maybe it's just, (laughs) you know, he's been around and kind (laughs) to you. 
<laughs> while you're dealing with your trauma and maybe you've just glommed onto that and he tells you that you're his mate and you're just like, oh, well, that means I'm special. And what did you think about the love? Their love journey or their romantic journey <laughs> yeah. or whatever? Yeah. Did it take you by surprise? <laughs> that, oh, now they're in love. Okay. <laughs> it did seem rather sudden, but I, I don't know. It seems like in a lot of romances, it's like that. I think it's tricky because there's the assumption that maybe the reader should be feeling things at a certain point. I think maybe sometimes the writer takes that for granted. <laughs> Which maybe for mo most romance readers, it's not as much of an issue. <laughs> for me, I definitely got caught up in the story. Like I liked the yeah the killer story and everything. And then I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is a romance. I forgot. Oh, okay. it, it's. It's hard to serve two <laughs> masters. Is it a romance story or yeah. is it a killer story? And I think sometimes with this story, the balance wasn't always achieved. And it's a hard thing because it's two very different narratives. The goals are very different, even though they're they're pretty well intertwined. But yes. I thought maybe the love took them by surprise, too. Yeah, Maybe. That's a totally feasible thing. For Lucas, at least, like his his panther knew, but he didn't know because he was in denial. Yeah, I mean, it is referencing it then. Once he's no longer in denial, he's all in. With Sasha, I think she decides at this point after the coma that actually I'm not broken. Actually, I'm this other thing that I didn't know existed until now. And therefore, she gives herself permission to explore all the feelings that she's been having this whole time. Maybe? Maybe? Sasha is definitely all in as well, but she has her own death hanging over her. As far as she knows, she cannot disconnect from the Sinet no matter what without grave personal consequences, aka death. <laughs> and she wants that death to mean something. She wants to catch this killer she wants to find Brenna, the poor current victim, and she has this plan that she's going to make a mental signature that looks very much like the victim's mental signatures and somehow lure the killer out so that they can identify them. Then the pack members will be able to catch and deal swift, violent justice to the killer and hopefully find Brenna before she's actually killed. And then... Sasha knows that she's either going to get discovered, probably by Enrique, because he's been paying undue attention to her, and snuffed out, or she's going to drop out from the Sinet and die. For this plan to work, she has to maintain a mental link with one of the changelings. And of course, Lucas is the one who wants to do it, because of course it is. Sasha doesn't want to. She feels like Lucas is going to expect her to maintain this link and then somehow that will keep her alive. And really, she's just going to suck out all his mental energy and kill him. And she doesn't want to kill him, too. She just wants to be able to feed the right information out to the pack so they can handle it before she dies. So we have this big old dramatic thing. Lucas is in denial. There's got to be some way that this can happen without Sasha dying or else Sasha shouldn't do it. And we can just deal with the fact that there's a murderer killing people. I think that's part of the loyalty thing. You know, the mate loyalty. I think 
his pack, at least the ones who are close to him, like his Sentinels and Tamsin, are worried about his well-being. They don't think that the pack will survive without Lucas in charge. He's the reason their pack is so strong. Before him, their pack was not as strong. And then also Lucas has a really tragic backstory where his parents got murdered mm. by a like rogue pack and he was tortured as a child. And how can they ask him to watch another loved one die where he can't do anything to prevent it? So it's going to impound his trauma, I guess. Oh, uh, yeah, it's it's really sad. The Lucas backstory is really sad. Yes. And I like that it tied into the plot of the book where Lucas as a child was unable to intervene because he was a child and didn't have the power that he has now. And here we have again kind of that mirroring where he doesn't have the mental power. He can't do anything on the Sinet or intervene in any way. And so Sasha is the one who would have to do the fight and he can't protect her in the way that he would like to. He's a bit of a protector man but it didn't really come up as much for this book that that was much more of just well obviously he is because he's the pack leader of course he is <laughs> yeah it didn't seem like it was as extreme as has been in other books so one of the things that they do to try to figure out this whole thing with sasha is they meet with the snow dancer pack who have a secret group of psi who, as far as the Sino are dead because they dropped off the Sinet years ago. And these Psy are a family unit and they've created their own mini Sinet. Sasha initially is very excited. Like, could I join this Sinet? The adults are like, yeah, no, sorry. We have to keep it a closed loop to protect the children because they can't control their innate need to connect to the actual Sinet the way adults can. Sasha's like, well, shit. <laughs> but I get it. I understand. <laughs> Obviously, at least for me as the reader this whole time, I'm like, no, there's this emotional connection in the pack. Obviously, she's going to join the pack and it's going to be like a signet for her and it'll be fine. But we start getting hints according to that around this point. They decide they're going to go through with the plan. Lucas forces Sasha to promise to stay linked to him afterward. He will sustain her. Sasha promises, but she doesn't intend to uphold her side of the promise. She doesn't want to kill him. She fears that's what will happen. She makes like this shield that's herself. She puts like a crack in it, this kind of distraction. Then she makes like this alternate sub personality that is kind of like the signature of the victims to hopefully lure the killer. And, and this is all mental. You know, she's up in a room somewhere <laughs> concentrating. Unfortunately, Enrique comes along and Sina and sees this crack and points it out. And Sasha's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm working on it. It's fine. And Enrique's like, poke, poke, poke. Sasha realizes that he is trying to trap her. He starts building like shields around her shields. If she were to fully come onto the Sinet, then he would be able to isolate her mind from her body, which is bad. <laughs> She's scared of Enrique, but she also knows that she's not going to be part of this trap because she's going to break her connection. So he can't trap her, ultimately. She's able to psychically connect to Brenna and let her know that help is coming. And then 
as she's talking to Enrique, she realizes that the killer is Enrique, which throws her for a whole loop because Enrique feels nothing. He doesn't feel violence or rage. How could he be the killer? (laughs) How? Enrique thinks Sasha is perfect because he'd also like to experiment on her. He knows that she feels things and he wants to explore. (laughs) Understand the feelings or something? I don't know. It's gross. This is where the mind rape comes in to the story, if you were wondering about the mind rape. (laughs) In case you were curious. That's kind of what he's been doing to these victims. It's really creepy and gross. Sasha is able to escape at the last minute. She pulls out of the signet. She breaks her link. Enrique gets murdered by... Well, I don't know. Do we want to call it murder? It's justice. (laughs) He gets slaughtered by a bunch of changelings and (laughs) delivered piecemeal to different cardinals and whatnot. It's pretty nasty, but that's that's how they serve it up. (laughs) Sasha is in great, great pain and distress because she no longer has this link to sign it. Lucas is upset because she's not linking to him like she promised And he's able to force the link to happen by forcing the mate bond. So they've been kind of pseudo mated this whole time, but it hasn't been finalized. And he's able to cause it to happen, which creates that link that she was trying to avoid. And oh no, now he's doomed them both. Uh Uh-oh. Or has he? (coughs) Well, luckily for Lucas... And Sasha, I guess, although it's really Lucas's fault that this is happening. He has a web that his mind is kind of connected to or his soul or I don't know exactly how to describe it. But basically, he has his own mini pack net. So (laughs) all the Sentinels have sworn blood oaths to him. So they are all connected to him in a way that's similar to the Sinet, but not the same. And the mate of one of the Sentinels is also connected. So there's a bunch of people, I think seven adults, and then the two cubs that are part of this web. And it's able to sustain Sasha and any pain or harm that she's inflicting on Lucas, she's able to heal with her empathy powers or something. And so she's fine, guys. It's okay. Everything's good now. Her mom is like, you're dead to me. Rude. But I still want to do this deal with the pack and continue the construction. Uh, (laughs) Enrique is like, no longer in existence. Brenna is rescued. There's this whole side plot where she doesn't realize she's rescued until Sasha comes and empathies her, empathizes with her and makes her come out of her trauma at least a little bit so that she can recognize she's with her pack now i mean that's basically the end right yeah that's what i would think the end is the end (laughs) the end how was the audiobook it was good uh it was performed by angela daw and i feel like it was done really well like you do go on sasha's emotional journey so like at the start daw portrays her more in like monotone voice and that changes throughout the course of the story oh i like that that's good so yay (laughs) are you happy for their happy i'm happy sasha didn't die i'm unhappy for them i'm reasonably happy for them what about you (laughs) 
<laughs> Crickets. <laughs> I'm happy for them. I I thought they had good chemistry. I thought the love kind of took a backseat at certain points of the story, but I think ultimately that made the story more interesting. The first part of the book is very much, we're attracted to each other, but we can't. And it just got kind of old. And so I liked the <laughs> the other plot elements that got brought in and the idea that she realizes that she can have what she never had before with Lucas and his pack is very sweet. And I'm very happy for her that she's able to find that. Lucas, I think, I mean, he has his trauma and whatnot that he's dealing with, and he never really wanted a mate to begin with. But I think it just is easy for him. Mm. As far as I could tell, like he, once he realizes that she's his mate, he's just like, okay, well, she's my mate and I'm going to protect her and keep her safe because I'm supposed to and everything's good and I'm happy. Whereas with Sasha, I think she had a bit more of a visible journey, at least in the story, where she had to realize that there was nothing wrong with her all along. Is that pretty typical with shifter romances? But, well, she's my mate, so that's it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would say that it's pretty typical that, and not, not just shifters, but any faded mate type romance, the male is often the one who either knows first or experiences it at all, that he has this biological imperative where he needs this mate connection with this other individual once they find her or him because of that there's just no room for questioning every once in a while you get a shifter romance or a faded mates romance where they deny it and of course that doesn't turn out well for them and they end up with their faded mate anyway <laughs> and it turns out that all along it was the right person <laughs> Makes me feel like with Google Maps when I've been like, no, I know the way. <laughs> and then I get lost. <laughs> Google's like, yeah, you should have yeah. trusted me. <laughs> it has me trained now. <laughs> I think some of the appealing elements of the whole faded mates trope is that element of safety and trust. You have this person who's going to be ultimately loyal to you no matter what. Mm. There's no question of their devotion They'd never cheat on you. They'd never hurt you. They want to keep you safe, that kind of thing. And yeah, the protectiveness can get kind of overbearing, especially in shifter romances. But that can kind of be a bit of a fantasy, even though we may not want a dominating partner. I mean, maybe we do. <laughs> but even even if you don't want a dominating partner in real life that controls all the things, sometimes it's nice to think about, oh, well, I could have a vacation and nothing in my life will explode because I have this partner who'll handle mm -hmm. it all. Mm -hmm. And he's always going to love me no matter what. And he's always going to think I'm beautiful no matter what. And he's always going to do his best for me no matter what because I'm his mate and he has no choice. <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of scary in a way. I mean, it's it's an ultimate fantasy yeah. type of thing, right? And if it happens in the book, there's safety in that. Yeah, the males in these stories are very rarely disturbed by this either. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, it's supposed to be that way, obviously. <laughs> Did you not get the memo? No, see, I find my mate and then I keep her. That's how it works. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> uh... <laughs> 
And then you have often the trope where the the woman has to be cajoled <laughs> into it. Like, <laughs> no, are you really, though? Yes. Yes, I am. I am definitely your mate forever. <laughs> There's no choice here. But I like choices. No, it's too bad. I will be perfect for you. Our God, the writer has decided <laughs> you have no choice. <laughs> am I worthy of this perfection, though? Yes. Yes, you are. You're definitely worthy. <laughs> Uh-huh. You are yep. a goddess. <laughs> not a person, a goddess. <laughs> Got you up on that pedestal. <laughs> You're not coming down. <laughs> That's how it goes. I have the nail gun. <laughs> I mean, it's not necessarily that creepy or horrible. No, my brain does that all on its own. Silly or whatever, obviously, but... I mean, when you boil it down to what it is, I mean, it could be, Yeah, if you oversimplify right? and... <laughs> and I just, I don't know. In this story, it is very much that way for Lucas. Yeah. Once he comes out of that denial period, it's just like, yep, this is happening. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's been a while since I think we've discussed it. But yeah, I think that's where it just makes me curious as to why in in some romance tropes taking away one character's agency is necessary or a given or expected i suggest that you reframe it as giving up their agency mm. versus getting it taken away because they often are choosing to give in to the faded mates yeah i guess both characters have to give up their agency yeah they do i don't like it because often the the male character he's gonna die if she doesn't accept this he won't be able to survive or if he does he'll have kind of a death-like existence and that is detrimental for the species (laughs) yeah because no procreation no furthering of the species Yeah, and I mean, some writers do it or manage it better than others. Like, with some, it is like a takey, or it seems more like a takey. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, there are some, like, this was one of the better ones where it is more of a, I give this up to get this. Yeah, but also in the ones where it's more of a a bent, where it's taking the agency or whatever, that's, I think, part of the ride that some readers want. They want that emotional journey. Yeah, it's like a domination submission Mm -hmm. thing, I think, in a way. And I think there's also the whole idea that, well, like I said, I'm going to repeat myself, but I think it's also the idea that, well, I don't have to do all the emotional labor because it'll be fine. And I think that's a nice vacation for a lot of women to fantasize about. Emotional labor is taxing. (laughs) Not not that men and whatnot don't do emotional labor. It's just, I think, it's often given to women. Yes. Expected of women. Yes, there's the social expectation. But to bring it back to their happy, I think for Sasha, of course I'm happy for her because she's living her full Yay! life now. And she's she's with the perfect guy for her. And she had a full journey and it was it was great. I enjoyed reading it. For Lucas, I think... I mean, I'm happy for him, but I mean, it's kind of like, okay, well, obviously he's fine. <laughs> yeah, it was it was definitely more Sasha's journey. And yes, I am glad she became a full and complete person. So let's rate them. <laughs> How do you rate Sasha? I put Sasha as awesome. She had a lot to overcome. And I feel like she did, in fact, surmount those obstacles. 
You know, she got to become her full and complete self by the end of the story. And I think, good on her. She had a lot to deal with, with the threat of having her identity removed if she did not conform. Yikes. To, you know, emotionally unsatisfactory childhood that was not fulfilling for her, especially as an empath who who needs the feels. So yay for Sasha. What about you? I rate her awesome as well. I thought she was a great character. I really enjoyed her. I thought her journey was great. I thought her mental prison that she was in was great. I liked how the author described Mm -hmm. her powers, the shields, and there's this whole scene where she ghosts on other people's, I guess, minds throughout the signet so that she can steal certain Mm -hmm. information. I thought I thought it was really cool. She's really talented. And she doesn't give herself any credit because she thinks it's a flaw. And I like that when she realizes that it's not a flaw, that it's actually meant to be like that for her. She empowers herself to fully embrace that aspect of herself. I think the one thing with Sasha that wasn't explored very much is what I would imagine to be the trauma of being raised in that sort of environment. And I don't necessarily think that it did the story bad by leaving it out, but I kind of wonder about her moving forward. Like her healing journey, I think, is just beginning. Of course it would be. Because it would be after the trauma, so it would be post-trauma. But she's badass, and she was willing to die to do what she thought was the right Mm -hmm. thing. And I found that very admirable. Agreed. How did you rate Lucas? Uh, He was kind of awkward. A little bit. He was okay. I don't know. I wanted him to be awesome. And he would do those alpha things. (laughs) And it would be hard. But, I mean, for the most part, he was... I hate saying this, but, well, he's not as bad as some... And I hate that that's that's sometimes (laughs) the standard in my head. It's like, well, it could be worse. There were things that I liked about him. He did care about his pack or whatever, but I guess he's supposed to. But yeah, some of the the bossiness was just... uh What about you? You you might (laughs) interpret that better. You tend to be kinder than I am. Okay, so I want to put a caveat at the beginning here because he is an alpha and i kind of struggle with alphas kind of like you do but i'm gonna rate lucas awesome yay i think for an alpha character he was really well done because he was kind we had some explanation as to why he is the way he is when he does the bossy domineering things and he doesn't just do it with Sasha. He does it as part of being the pack leader. There are a couple scenes where he puts different pack members in their place. And Sasha views it as a bit much. But it's clear, I think, to the reader at least, that it's necessary to maintain the pack dynamic that is yeah. what is working for them. I really appreciated that we had some of that explanation in the story I think a lot of times authors will assume that we know why alphas do what they do. Or we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. (laughs) But for people like me who don't really care for (laughs) alphas, I really definitely want there to be a reason for why they're doing what they do. 
And I want to know what that reason is because I want to understand them. I want to like them. I want to understand them. But if you don't give me any text to use to interpret their behavior, then it's hard for me to be kind to them. Yes, we want to entrust our heroines to not alpha holes. And I mean, I know the whole alpha hole thing is is a total trope as well. Sometimes that's something that you want to read mm -hmm. and that's totally fine. But in this book, he definitely is not an alpha hole. He is an alpha. I think he's a good alpha. I think he's a caring person. I think he's kind. I think there are reasons for him to be the way he is when he does the alpha things. And I appreciate yes. that about him. I also really liked that we had some insight into his backstory, his childhood, how hard it was for him. Although on the surface, he doesn't show it. We know that there's a reason why he yes. doesn't show it too. So it makes sense. He's not just closed off and hidden just because there's reasons. And it's part of this whole pack mentality that they have. He can't show weakness because then he wouldn't be a good leader. He wouldn't be effective. I liked that he went so far to try to figure out a solution yes. that would work for Sasha to do the plan and yet still survive. And even though at the end he does kind of take her consent away, sort of, because he, he solidifies that link without her consent. Even though if she thought, like if she knew it wouldn't kill him, she would yes. consent. That, that was the only reason why she wouldn't. I like that he went so far as to meet with the snow dancers and find the other side and help Sasha realize that there could be another way possibly, even though he wasn't sure what it was either. I thought he had a lot of insight into Sasha's journey. The idea that, well, she's never experienced mm -hmm. this before. I appreciated that from him as well. You have made the case. I changed my rating to awesome. <laughs> hey, that's exciting. <laughs> It happens. My mind does get changed. Well, that's good. I'm glad. Uh, what about the antagonists slash villains? So um, I feel like the antagonist is definitely the society that Sasha grew up in. Sci society. Oh, yes. I was going to try to make that a pun, but... Society. Um, I wanted to, but <laughs> I'm like... Because yeah. I try to own my puns, right? I try not to do the pun not intended. No, I own them. <laughs> I intended it. <laughs> so like I said, that her, her culture that she grew up in. So with the anti-emotion thing, I mean, that basically was the foundation for their society. So yeah, that's kind of a big hurdle for her. And plus then the, the threat of war, right? We don't get what we want. War. And, and shaping the other culture to be the villain because they don't know. So they're going to fill in what they want to be true or think should be true to support their narrative. And then, of course, the proper villain is psycho killer Enrique. So he's not one of the favorite people because of all the murdering. Did you think he was effective? I did feel like he was effective. I wish we got more of him and more cat and mouse thing going on. And I think that's where stories that do this, where they try to have... The murder mystery-ish thing with the romance thing. The serving two masters. It can be very difficult to interweave those. I, I <laughs> This makes me sound so bloodthirsty. I needed more murderer. <laughs> I feel like I'm always saying that whenever we do like a romance murder <laughs> thing. 
or something. So, uh, I don't know. Cause <laughs> Can we have some more death, something. please? doesn't have to be death. There could be threat of or, <laughs> you know, thriller part. The tension. But yeah, I, I feel like he was effective. I definitely liked when there's the, you know, the final countdown. You know, like the showdown at the end. What about you and your list? I agree with you. The primary antagonist is the Psy Society because that's what is affecting Sasha's life and causing her to go through this journey and having to hide who she really is. Well, she doesn't even know who she really is at the beginning of the story. I thought it was really effective. I thought the way the author presented the society and how it was created and how it's changed over the past 100 years or whatnot was really interesting. The author even brought up when they changed the silence protocol to kill off emotion, how bad it was for the first generation of children who had to deal with that. Things like that, I thought, added some more depth to the story, made it seem more serious, made it seem more sinister, more real. I think that it is very dystopian. Sasha's need to be part of the Sinet adds an extra little oomph to the danger there. As far as she's aware, she's going to die at the end because she has no choice. She either lives in secret Or she does what she thinks is right and ends up dying for it. And of course, there's Enrique. I agree with you. He is pretty effective. I also wish that we had a little bit more there. I'm not exactly sure what the author could do to satisfy it for me because I liked that Sasha didn't figure it out until the end. I liked that she thought that, no, if you don't feel anything, then that means that you're not going to do the killing because that's what was the point of not feeling anything. There won't be any murders of passion, but not all murders are passion based. I think that is the theme I would have liked explored a little bit more. The idea of a cold killer that is doing it for science or to satisfy some weird curiosity or just because he can or whatever. I think that would have been a little bit more interesting to have some more of those themes. I don't know if a villain monologue would have done it for me or if there could have been some other way. But I definitely picked up on that theme and I felt like there wasn't enough of it. Although I do really appreciate how creepy Enrique was throughout the story. And he got introduced in a realistic way and his creepiness got amplified, I think, in a realistic way. I also put Nikita on the list. I feel she was very effective as an antagonist. She is the sole lifetime relationship Sasha has ever had and has completely bought into the silence protocol. Although she must have some sort of feeling, at least of protectiveness, if not towards Sasha herself, Mm -hmm. toward her legacy, because she wants Sasha to hide who she really is. She knows who Sasha really is. And she goes to great pains to make sure Sasha realizes what the consequences for her being true to herself will be. I think that Nikita, she's a very cold mother. And <laughs> I hesitate to call her a mother, right? But that's yeah. all Sasha knows. 
until she meets the changelings and then she realizes what she's been missing out on. It would be interesting to see, like, maybe later in the series, if any of that is explored. For example, another heroine, have them give birth and then have that mothering instinct be at odds with psychoculture. Because how does the society handle that? Yeah, how do you kill that mother instinct? I thought it was interesting that Sasha was conceived scientifically, that Nikita had gone and found a sperm donor and had a baby that way. I was almost expecting them to have external wombs and whatnot where Nikita would supply her genetic material, find a donor, and then the baby would grow completely divorced from human contact from the very beginning. The story doesn't really get into that. There is a part of the story where we learn that there are a couple of people on the council who are in a, quote, married relationship where they procreated naturally but most of them don't anymore that's really as far as the author went so it did kind of leave open some questions like okay well you're so icked out by these feelings what would a side birth be like if you're giving birth naturally what would that be like because you can't have emotion or yeah i was really curious like i wasn't i mean obviously not with this book but that's where i was wondering if in future books it was addressed in some way And then, of course, that parental instinct that, you know, a mother would have, I mean, most mothers would have, how can you condition that out of you preemptively or whether you can? Are mothers initially being rehabilitated? It has some possibilities for some really sinister plot, (laughs) for sure. And I liked that this author went there. I mean, granted, lightly, but still, I I appreciated that they were there, which is why I would want some of those, I don't know if one story word, expect, oh, maybe that's the worst word, in future books, something like that. But of course, make it happy because romance. <laughs> and I, I would appreciate that you wouldn't necessarily have to well, make it as horrifying as it could be. Just, just the love story has to be happy. It can be really fucked up otherwise. You keep glossing over this whole idea that, oh, romance is happy, so everything is sunshine and rainbows. But it doesn't have to be just the ending (laughs) where the lovers are in love. That part has to be happy. I gloss. I apologize. (laughs) But there can be a lot of twisted, fucked up, messed up, horrible, traumatic shit happening all throughout the story. And even at the end, they could still be living in that twisted, fucked up society, but they're together now. And at least that part is happy. They have each other. Yeah. But I think... Nikita was one of the more, I feel, well, I mean society, but I think Nikita was the most effective villain that was an actual person in this book because she made Sasha into who she is. Yeah, yeah. She's the one who engineered all that, (laughs) mindfucked her into believing (sighs) she was messed up. Yes, the mindfuckery. And we don't understand her really at all, even at the end of the story. Is she just cold-blooded and pragmatic or is there some other reason we don't know that kind of makes her more effective to me i think because we don't know what is this enemy i don't know and then not only that but sasha feels still some loyalty to her mother how do you rate the book i really appreciated the world building and sasha's journey so i gave it a four what giveth you 
I gave it a three rating from the perspective of a romance. I definitely want to read more of this series and it was really hard not to. I forced myself to wait until after we recorded to read any more. Yes, you were punishing yourself for a lack of notes. Or was it punishment or was it... I don't think it was reward. (laughs) No, it was punishment. It was like, no, since you didn't take notes, you can't read anything (laughs) till after you record. I do not understand this, but okay. Okay. That was definitely punishment. (laughs) I went all day without reading. It was horrible. Wow. How torturous for you. I know. Now you you can do all the reading. I I read the book on Friday and then Saturday (laughs) was was sad. And now we're recording. (laughs) Yes. I do love puns. (laughs) But yeah, I rated it a three. I thought it was really good. I thought it was interesting. I really enjoyed the the sci-fi sort of plot, the different societies and how the author crafted them and the rules. And we definitely have a good understanding of why certain things are the way they are. But we also have questions, which makes it interesting. I liked her point system for Sinus and her world building and and all yeah. that good stuff. The the magic world, well, magic, but you know, magic world building. I definitely appreciated all of that. I do struggle with pack dynamic. You know, you got the pack council or leader or whatever. You got the side council, whatever. I don't know. It just so often it goes wrong. So when I read a book, I'm just like, oh god, why is this here? I feel like even though I experienced the why is this here moment, I understood pretty early. Oh, that's why it's here. Okay. All right. I'll get back on board, I guess, (laughs) if I have to. I think the biggest thing for me, and it kind of comes down to that balancing act that you brought up before, is just that there was less romance between the couple than there was plot. And I don't necessarily think that was bad but because i was expecting a romance story i kind of wanted a little bit more of that just at least some reflection on it maybe or i don't know like it it felt really easy and it was in a world where it felt like it shouldn't be especially since it was it was a world that that did have those harder realities in it like more pushback from the pack, for example. Maybe passive aggressive pushback or something. Yeah. Or they can't <laughs> do it openly because grumpy alpha. But <laughs> Yeah, he's but not really grumpy I mean. though. He's just like, bossy. They, d- they don't want to incur the, r- the alpha's wrath. So passive. Yeah, that was one of those things that was kind of interesting too. And isn't necessarily new for a shifter book, but the idea that the alpha is king, but if enough people disagree, his sentinels will take him down. Yeah, I liked that. Some sort of check and balance. It would have to be really bad for them to take him down. Maybe later in the series they could explore that. Like, an alpha really needs to be taken down, but it's problematic to do so, which exposes the issues with that structure. Yeah. Well, did you feel romanced? Not so much with the couple, but I did really like the world. Okay. So 50%, I guess? I don't know. Is that a thing? Can we do a percent? Sure. <laughs> it's our podcast. We can do what we want. I definitely felt taken in by the world. I want to know more. I intend to read more of the series because I want more of the world building. It definitely pushed all of my world building buttons mm-hmm. for sure. 
But as far as the couple stuff, not as much. What about you? Same. Not romance, but definitely romance by the world. Mm-hmm. I really appreciated the world building. And I must admit that would probably be one of my driving forces to continue with the series. Not that the romance wouldn't factor in, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Explain to me your world. <laughs> you gotta know how those two crazy kids will get together, though, Anne. Sure. <laughs> or not. <laughs> I mean, it just, it depends. I mean, I usually can tell pretty early on, like, whether or not there will be a connection. Most of the time there isn't. And I just accept it, which is one of the reasons when world building isn't as strong or one of those others, I think that greatly impacts my enjoyment. Oh, yeah, I think so. That makes sense. It's like, okay, well, I want to be here for something. And and I don't have to be romanced by the couple to find enjoyment with them and their journey. What else have you been reading? So I'm still reading... It's called The Inner Life of Animals by Peter Wallenben. I apologize for mispronouncing that name. It's the amazingness of the non-human animal. Animals are, are more than what we think they are or what we're commonly told. They explore the topic of mother's love. Like, I didn't know that squirrel mothers will adopt other squirrel babies. Oh, interesting. Granted, they have to be closely related. But still, I did not realize that that was a thing. Because, I mean, you you hear the stories of, like, the dog that adopted the whatever. Or they also had an example in the book of, like, a crow that adopted a cat. Interesting. And there's a whole bunch of other things. Um, these are just the mother's love examples, probably because of the book. <laughs> the unloving mother. Potentially unloving mother of Sasha. So another example was... Uh, Mama Pig, who would teach all of her babies how to make good beds for themselves. And with her daughters, she was a midwife for them. So they they remember like who they're related to and try to help them. Not necessarily all animals do, or at least not maybe to the degree or the way that we're used to. But yeah, he covers a lot of different animal behaviors. Like I said, I'm not done with the book, but he was also talking about how animals deceive or lie or whatever. But it's usually, I mean, all these efforts are usually in to accomplish finding a mate or finding food. So foxes will play dead so that something will get curious, like a crow, and investigate and then yay dinner <laughs> and, and that kind of thing. But one example I thought was really intriguing and I think you would think is really intriguing. So on the topic of like fungus, which is it a plant? Isn't it an animal? We're still working on that, which is amazing. But it's that complex that we don't know. He was talking about slime mold that was being studied in Japan. And this particular mold, which by the way, is like a one cell, but like many, many, many nuclei. Okay. Um, like that's the setup. So this brainless entity... <laughs> The single cell brainless entity can figure out a maze so that they can get to food. So they have some sort of like spatial memory. Wow. It's just, it's amazing. And they took this slime mold since they were testing its mapping capabilities because of the maze and whatnot. And so they put a little bit of this mold in the center of Tokyo. And then they put food for the mold in, 
I don't know how far exactly. I guess the whole city? I don't know. I'm not sure how long they took to do this either. He didn't mention it. And they took food and they put it in attractive locations in the city. Desirable neighborhoods for whatever. Okay. I know. This is so fascinating. And so over however long a period of time, this single-celled, brainless thing managed to map the city. Because it found the shortest routes to connect itself with the food that it wanted. That's fascinating, but also kind of terrifying. Are the scientists in Tokyo trying to get the mold to take over the city? I don't know. Godzilla mold. I don't know. Um, <laughs> this Is this going to be a Last of Us situation? <laughs> when they were done, like they, they had a map of the city that looked a lot like their urban train system. That is crazy and amazing mm-hmm. and awesome, but also scary yeah, as hell. You would probably really like this book. <laughs> so what? What are you reading? (laughs) I found a new sci-fi romance series that I'm totally in love with. It's by Etta Pierce, and it's called the Interstellar Union series. So for this episode, I'm wrecking book one and two because it's kind of a two-parter. It follows the same couple for those first two books. Um, The first book is called Convergence. Our heroine is Olivia. She is a behaviorist with the LA Police Department, and her specialty is profiling, and that makes her very interesting to the commander of this spaceship named Atarian. He has a secret mission to try to find this sex trafficking ring, and he wants Olivia to help him modify his behavior so that he can successfully go undercover as someone who would actually partake in that. And he wants Olivia to show him how to interact with and understand human behavior because the victims are, of course, humans. Mm. Of course they are. They always are. (laughs) Olivia agrees. She wants to help the other humans, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that does that that is a good idea. So they have this weird sort of relationship where they interact with each other because he has to learn from her so that he can successfully do this undercover mission, but they're also attracted to each other. It's just, I can't even get it. It is so fucking good. Like the world building is so good. The development of these different alien species is just great because there's multiple species involved and To start it from this perspective from Olivia, who was also abducted from Earth, but for a good reason, is an interesting introduction to the series because future books like book three and four are people who were part of the sex trafficking ring that got rescued. And so Olivia is kind of outside of it a bit. So you get like this outside perspective of the culture in books one and two, in addition to the love story between Olivia and Atarian, in addition to the let's save the humans from slavery, the rest of the series, which <laughs> book five isn't out yet. So, Etta Pierce, can you please publish <laughs> book five? But books three and four cover rescued humans who are living on the colony that the good aliens make for them because they can't return them back to Earth right now (laughs) there's this whole political thing that umbrellas over the whole story where 
should they allow Earth to join their society? Because they haven't joined it organically through developing space travel and whatnot on their own or technology on their own to a certain level. They've become part of the society through victimhood, I guess. (laughs) And are they worthy of being bona fide members of the society or are we just going to have like this nice little human preserve on this planet where you know the victims can live out their lives in relative peace (laughs) yay (laughs) i said this already but i really really love the world building in the story it really hits all those buttons and the romance is good too of course but i think the questions that are brought up like what makes a person a person is often a big theme in these sci-fi romances but i think this is addressed super well in the series and i just want more so anyway yeah the first book is called convergence the second book is called resilience they both cover olivia's love story with atarian i hope you get more there's supposed to be more (laughs) i will keep my fingers crossed for you Book five is supposed to be published in April of Ooh, this year. So that is soon. It better happen. That's all I'm saying. In fact, by the time this podcast comes out, it may have already happened. We can only <laughs> hope. <laughs> That's it for this time. Check out our website, romancemepodcast.com, for our social media links, show notes, other episodes, and our upcoming reads. Don't forget, you can subscribe on Apple, Google, Amazon, or Spotify. And we love that for (laughs) you and us. Yay. Speaking of love and socials, uh, were you romanced by Sasha and Lucas's story? Let us know what you think. And of course, join us next time when we discuss Shame on You by Tara Sivak. Now, (laughs) RoboBoogie. (laughs) Because <laughs> there weren't enough <laughs> references. <laughs> I was expecting you to blurt out a lick my battery at some point during the <laughs> summary. And you did not. I didn't. I behaved. <laughs>